Welcome to At Home and Abroad with Harrison Walker. Join us each week as we explore the far reaches of the globe in search of unique characters and stories to share. Reach beyond your front door as we uncover new perspectives, intriguing ideas, and lessons learned over time. Let's jump in. You may not have heard of Dale DeGroff, but you have likely felt his influence. The New York Times called him one of the world's foremost cocktail experts. You could even call him the king of cocktails. Wow. Born in Rhode Island in 1948, Dale DeGroff actually began his career as an inspiring actor, but his magic was revealed during his stint as a head bartender at the Rainbow Room in Rockefeller Center in New York City. There, he explored 19th century cocktail creations and created an innovative but anchored cocktail menu of classics. He recognized the importance of quality, fresh ingredients, too. And in combination with his respect for his forefathers, he gained the reputation as the father of modern mixology. Author, influencer, educator, and innovator, Dale DeGroff is considered one of the most influential bartenders in the world. Wow. I've been to the Rainbow Room, so maybe I've had one of his students' creations. I do remember loving the cocktail I had that night. Well, I've also been to the Rainbow Room, but it was a long time ago, and frankly, I I don't remember. What did you have? (laughs) I had a champagne cocktail. I love them. They're my fave. Simple and elegant. So is that a true cocktail or just a mixed drink? Well, funny you should mention that, Walker, because there is a lot of debate about this. According to Keith Miker, head bartender at Sepia in Chicago, a mixed drink has a minimum of two ingredients, but once you get to that third ingredient, it's a cocktail. Mm. Mixologists often say that cocktails are mixed drinks, but not all mixed drinks are cocktails. Okay, well, that's as clear as mud. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's a little confusing, isn't it? It Clearly, I've been using the wrong terminology since I became of drinking age or... Maybe a bit before then. Who's Ah. kidding who? (laughs) I've always considered anything with a spirit or hard alcohol a cocktail. And then there was wine and beer. Apparently, cocktails require more effort to prepare than a mixed drink would. You know, the shaking and the stirring and all that jazz. There are definitely more steps than simply pouring a couple of ingredients into a glass. Okay, so this is enlightening. I know, right? I had no idea. And there's also a lot of debate regarding who invented the cocktail, too. Many believe that the cocktail was invented in America back in the 1800s. So who was this clever person responsible for giving us so much pleasure and, frankly, so much pain at least the next day? I know. Well, the person who's pegged in America is the owner of a New York City saloon, actually, with the nickname Professor. Sounds like it's right out of an old Western movie, right, Mm -hmm. Walker? Jerry Thomas was a creative tender of his own bar, and in fact, he was responsible for creating the first bartending manual in 1862 called The Bartender's Guide, also known as How to Mix Drinks or The Bon Vivant's Companion. Okay, so what's the debate? Well, some say the first cocktail was not invented in America, but was in fact invented in Britain. British punch, a mix of alcohol and citrus juice, may have been the actual first cocktail, according to David Wondrich, author of the book Punch, The Delights and Dangers of the Flowing Bowl, but America is credited with the reinventing of the cocktail. Okay, well, it sounds a little like splitting hairs there. It does, it does. So have you ever heard of the Blue Blazer? 
I'm assuming we're talking cocktails and not what's best dressed for a business casual meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's actually one of the cocktails Jerry Thomas invented. It involved mixing sugar, scotch, and boiling water. Then he lit it on fire, transferred it back and forth between two glasses, which resulted in an incandescent rainbow of flame. Wow, that's really cool. Quite mm -hmm. a spectacle mm -hmm. and a bit dangerous, though. I would say. And what is it about lighting drinks on fire? I don't know. Right? There were many a near miss back in the day with me and <laughs> Eyebrow sinking. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> or scorched lips. Oh, I remember yeah. the scorched lips. Thomas is also credited with the martini, but not everybody's in agreement with that either. So I wonder why that is. Is there not a clear progression of the field of mixology? I need to explore its roots there, Harris. I need to know. I know you, Walker. You do need to know. Well, it's interesting. As you might expect, cocktails became wildly popular as ice became more readily available. Hmm. But then prohibition proved to be a bit of a monkey wrench. Drove that drinking right underground, mm -hmm. but perhaps it even enhanced the appeal. Mm -hmm. Forbidden fruit and all that jazz. Moonshine and bathtub gin, though, made for some pretty harsh drinking. I'm not really into those moonshine margaritas. Are you, Walker? No, that that that's a hard no for me. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, according to the casual mixologist, Prohibition inspired mixologists to do some of their best work as they devised recipes to make that yucky alcohol more palatable. Sweeteners like sugar cubes, simple syrup, and the honey in the bee's knees, and citrus in a gin ricky covered up the harsh flavor of rudimentary booze. A good mix can make all the difference. I love this. Do you remember the dinner placemats, those paper ones with all the cocktails on it that... Yes. <laughs> that were in restaurants in the 70s and they 80s. were the best <laughs> and they had the pictures of all the cocktails with oh, their, yeah. their names underneath I lovely. love those <laughs> my 10 year old self used to pour over them mom's diner in Picton Ontario always had the cocktail menu diner placemats well my memory took place at the My King restaurant in Kitchener and the grasshopper and the pink lady stand out in my mind. I know. And the Harvey Wallbanger. And the Harvey Wallbanger, because mm -hmm. I'm like, what is up with that name? I remember the mint julep and the Singapore sling. Have you ever had any of those drinks? I've had several Singapore slings over the years. However, I'm saving my mint julep experience for when I eventually get to the Kentucky Derby. Ooh, that sounds like a bit of Someday. a plan. Someday. Yeah. Well, not surprisingly, many American bartenders relocated abroad during Prohibition, mm -hmm. right? Not a whole lot of work around here. It was a bit of a roller coaster in terms of the popularity of cocktails after Prohibition, but Dale DeGroff is credited with the resurgence in their popularity in the 90s. Can't keep those cocktails under wraps there. Mm -hmm. There's just too much deliciousness to be had. And honestly, variety as well. Yeah, exactly. There's no limit to what can be created. It's all in the imagination of the mixologist. Right. Now, I would think a mixologist is part chef, part chemist, part designer, and maybe even part entertainer too. Mm -hmm. I wonder how all that comes together though. Well, why don't we take a little road trip, Walker, and let's find out. So we're currently on location in Civil Liberties, named one of the world's 50 best bars, the past two years running, and the top bar in Canada. Really? Yeah. The top. The top bar in Canada. Here we are. <laughs> and we already have our cocktails in hand. It was bartender's choice. Right. 
we have the choice of having a classic or going with, you know, the chef's choice. Mm -hmm. In this case, a bartender's mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. so you asked for something that was a little classic. Yeah, I asked for something a little gin and citrusy. Yeah. And uh, it's worked out pretty well. I know. I think. I'm really enjoying this so much. So tell me, what's in yours? Okay, so it was a little loud, so I didn't get it all, but the primary spirit is a tequila. Okay. Um, and in addition to that, there is lemon juice and maple syrup. Mm -hmm. And there was one more ingredient that I missed. Um, Remember what it was? was it something? I don't know. Something I didn't really recognize. Yeah. Well, I have to say that it has a really earthy, deep tone to the drink. The drink itself looks like a Manhattan, but it's in a prettier, more elegant, sort of small daiquiri glass. Mm -hmm. And it has the sweetest little dehydrated lemon yeah. on the side that's clipped to the side with a tiny little clothespin. I know, it's so cute. <laughs> it's so cute, mine too. I've got, I think, I don't know what my leaf is there, but it's pretty special. Pineapple. It's a pineapple. Oh, is it? Oh, of course, with the pineapple theme, because outside there's no sign, actually, right. for this bar. There's just a pineapple sign. And then it says, above the awning, which I love, it says, this must be the place. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is the place this to have a cocktail place. in Toronto. There's no restaurant here on site. They bring in from their sister restaurant. And it, it hasn't been open that that long, I think nine years. And But now it is front and center in the bar scene in Canada. Wow, this is pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So in mine, my cocktail, I have gin, pineapple juice, jalapeno, and honey. Yeah, and it's in a really pretty, well, like a tiny daiquiri glass, but it's pressed glass. Yeah, it's and really cute, super cute. I have to say the decor is really amazing in here. It's, it has a really vintage feel to it. Yeah. It has the antique tin ceiling tiles. Mm -hmm. uh, the bar countertop is actually penny covered with little copper pennies. And on the wall, they have really neat uh, Japanese animation films yeah. that are projected on the wall. And, you know, it's a pretty, pretty neat place. Yeah, and it just opened like 18 minutes ago, and I would say there's already, it's already half yeah, full. Yeah. And by the time it hits 8 to 10 o'clock, this packed. place is going to be popping. And for good reason. And I mean, the reason. level of creativity here is over the top. Yeah. You know, the sky's the limit here. How often do you go to a drinking establishment where you can essentially order anything? Yeah, anything you want, right? You can order a mixed drink or a cocktail that you're familiar with or that everybody's familiar with, but you can really sort of go as wild as your imagination will take you. When the interesting thing about it, I don't know about your experience, but when I've gone to bars in the past and you ask for something a little different, they kind of hold their breath and cringe when you yeah. ask for anything because it's going to slow down the whole process, right, of getting yeah. the drinks out to the customers. But here, it, it was the complete opposite experience. That's you know, actually what they encourage you. offer, yeah. yeah. When we walked in, he said, well, do you remember how it works? Because I have been here before many years ago. And I was like, ah, no, refresh me. And he said, well, you can order something, you know, like a classic cocktail or whatever. Um, or it can be bartender's choice, which is fantastic. You can just say, okay, this is kind of what I'm in the mood for. Right. And and then you just kind of wait and see what happens. And I'm happily surprised. How about you, Walker? Absolutely yeah. surprised. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful and tasty. And tasty. <laughs> and going down Quite smoothly, man. I know, a little too smoothly. <laughs> yeah, so I think we've got 
three, two or three bartenders behind the bar. A lot of shaking, a lot of stirring. I haven't seen any fancy flare moves, but I, I hear it does happen on site. And I noticed too, when I was looking at uh, Civil Liberties Instagram, they do have like guest bartenders from around the world come in sometimes, um, and sometimes some workshops, that kind of thing. So it's a really, it's a big community bar and location, but it's also now a mixology destination not only in Canada but being one of the top 50 in the world from everywhere you come to Toronto you got to come to this bar wow proud to call Toronto their home yeah yeah so just a little bit about the location we're in Christie Pitts in Toronto it's it's a really vibey neighborhood very strong community very tight-knit it's just a, a really fun fun place to be in the city so we strongly encourage everybody to come out if you're visiting come on down Come on down to the pineapple place. We're learning, Walker. So how solid is your cocktail knowledge now? Better. Lots of room for improvement, though. Maybe I need to do some more on-site research. Yes, perhaps <laughs> we do need to do more on-site research. But for now, thanks to fooddrinklife.com, I can provide you with a crash course in mixology. If you keep the recipes for these six types of cocktails in your back pocket, Walker, you are ready to go. Okay, this could come in handy. So what are they? Okay, so the six types are the old-fashioned, the daiquiri, the martini, the highball, the sidecar, and the little-known flip. Most drinks are said to fall within these six main types. A little disclosure here, though, there are bartenders that don't really consider a highball a true cocktail. Okay, noted. So the six formulas have the following ingredients, which can be switched up. So there's the spirit, which is like the gin, the vodka, the rum, the bourbon, the whiskey, the brandy, liqueur, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The sweetener, which is sugar cubes, simple syrup, honey, maple syrup, the sour juices like lemon, orange, and finally the seasoning, which can be fruit, bitters, or even muddled herbs. There is room for a lot of creative combinations there. Yeah, there sure are. But there are rules of thumb too. For example, the old-fashioned formula is two ounces spirit, half ounce sweetener, and one to two dashes of bitters or muddled herbs. This forms the basis of the classic old-fashioned, but of course, there are variations. And you can find the mint julep, the cobbler, and my fave, the champagne cocktail based on that formula. Okay, go on. Okay, are you taking notes, Walker? Because I, I want you to mix us up as post-studio bevy. Maybe. Okay, all right. I'm counting on it. Okay, the second type is the daiquiri or the sour, which I've always been curious about, this sour drink, like a whiskey sour. You hear about it on TV. This involves two ounces of spirit, a one-ounce sweetener, and one-ounce sour. That's the foundation of drinks like the gimlet, the daiquiri, or a margarita just to name a few. Ah, the daiquiri. That's my holiday drink. Oh, is it? Mm -hmm. I think I have a new favorite holiday drink. I think it's called an iceberg. Remember that postcard from Mexico yes. we did? Yes. Yeah, I think it's a margarita dumped in a beer. <laughs> Perfect. It doesn't sound fancy, but it's really, really Perfect delicious. Perfect on a hot day, hence yeah. the iceberg. Exactly. Anyway, I digress. The third category is the highball, which can also be called a fizz. But this is supposedly like a sour but with a fizzy element. So what sort of drinks are included in the highball category? Just the name reminds me of a detective novel from the 80s. I know, right? Drinks that follow a highball formula are the Mojito, Gin Ricky, Moscow Mule, and Tom Collins. So they have the two ounces of spirit, the one ounce sweetener, the one ounce of sour, but then 
two to four ounces of carbonated something or other. Oh, I do love myself a good mojito. I know. Pure summer in a glass. So how are they made? I've actually never made one before. Well, I make them at home from mint in my garden. They're really super fresh and they're not too hard. But moving on, the fourth type is the well-known martini. Hmm. Like the old-fashioned, a martini can stand on its own, but it can also be tweaked to create other kinds of drinks. Like? Like the Negroni or a Manhattan, the latter of which is one of my favorites as well. And the recipe, two ounces spirit, half ounce fortified wine, so sweet or dry. Mm -hmm. A seasoning, which can be muddled herbs, bitters. But a history note, Walker, the Manhattan was said to have claimed its name after being created at a banquet for governor and presidential candidate Samuel J. Tilden at the Manhattan Club in the late 19th century. Well, that's kind of neat. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I ordered a Manhattan. I was in university and trying to seem very, very sophisticated. So did you like it? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I got a rude awakening when I took my first sip. I remember it taking me almost all evening to finish it. But come hell or high water, I was finishing it. You're down It was too expensive as a university student. Mm -hmm. I was not going to waste that money. I get it. I get it. Well, maybe you would like the next cocktail better. The sidecar. I've always loved that name. So retro. Mind you, I have zero idea as to how to make a sidecar. Yeah, I had no idea either until researching this episode. So the sidecar is a cognac cocktail Mm -hmm. with orange liqueur and fresh lemon juice. And it apparently evolved from the daiquiri. So think like a cosmopolitan. These are made with one and a half ounces of spirit, one ounce of orange liqueur, and a half ounce of lemon juice. And then finally, the flip. The flip. I have never heard of this type of drink. Me neither. And it was definitely not on the placemat that I recall, (laughs) right? The flip uses a shaken egg or dairy. And these kinds of drinks include a white Russian, which may have actually been on the placemat. Come to think of it. I think it was on the placemat. Yeah. A classic pina colada must have been on the placemat. For sure. And eggnog. That was not on the placemat. That was not. No. (laughs) Look at our memories. I'm impressed. I know. The recipe for a flip is two ounces of spirit or fortified wine, one egg, two teaspoons of sugar and seasoning, and you've got yourself a flip walker. Okay. I'm not a big fan of raw eggs, so I may pass on the flip. Well, you might rethink that opinion after I disclose the next little tidbit here. I have to do a shout out to our listeners in Slovenia. We've got a really lovely, loyal following in Slovenia. (laughs) Who would have thunk it? I know. I love it. So I wanted to feature a Slovenian cocktail. That is the best. Let's hear it. Okay. The drink is a Slovenian version of a flip called a chateau. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's a beverage made of wine, whole egg, and sugar. Apparently, it can vary in name and recipe depending on the region of Slovenia where it's made. And sadly, I missed out on having one of these drinks when I was in Slovenia. It is such a gorgeous country. I have to go. Maybe a distance road trip. Yeah, I like (laughs) that idea. I'm planting the seed early here. Love it. Okay, so now I have the basics of mixology, but I'm sure there's so much more to it. Oh yeah, most definitely. People dedicate their lives to mixology. It's not as easy as this. No, absolutely not. Now, didn't we do a mixology class at an online conference during the pandemic, Harris? Mm -hmm, We did. I think there's a lot of cocktail making during 2020. Oh yeah, in my house, for sure. (laughs) Do you remember? Remember Stanley Tucci making his famous Negroni? I saw that. I love Stanley Tucci. I know I love Stanley <laughs> Tucci too. And I love that cocktail. Remind me, what was it? 
Okay, so there's gin, sweet vermouth, Campari, and an orange slice. It's like a little taste of Italy. Oh, I remember the first time I tried Campari. I was excavating in southern Italy and came back to our pensione and thought that the bottle of Campari was cream soda. Uh-oh. The taste of Campari couldn't be farther <laughs> from cream soda, Walker. Again, a rude awakening. Some say that the Negroni was created in 1919 in Florence at Cafe Cassoni. The story goes that the French general count Camillo Negroni requested that Fosco Scarcelli, the bartender, replace the soda water in his favorite drink, which was an Americano, with gin. As simple as that. As simple as that. There's always an interesting person behind the creation of a cocktail. I wonder if there's something about that creative personality that attracts us more with some drinks than others. Mm. Our drink selection says something about us, no? Yeah, I would think so. Like when there's a big event, the hosts often will choose a signature drink to mark the occasion. Yeah, you're right. They do. That's so true. And I think that there's more than just the flavor. I think we're drawn to the way a drink is presented and maybe even to its name. Yeah, like the type of car we drive or the clothes we wear. When people choose to drink a specific drink, they're sending a message. Mm -hmm. Like when you're ordering one of those crazy Caesar drinks that have (laughs) skewers of like fried chicken and hamburgers and like a whole shank of lamb. Like, what is that saying? Uh, that they're hungry, I, w- I would think. I, now, I should know this. What's your favorite drink, Harris? Well, you can't guess. I suppose we're not really drinking buddies, though, are we, Walker? We don't have I, I time think, for that. I think that's got to change. Yeah, that may, that may change. So if I said a martini... Would you think I was like all suave and sophisticated like James Bond? Oh, for sure. (laughs) We joke, but you know, what you drink can influence how people perceive you. Yeah. Well, now that I know the difference between a mixed drink and a cocktail, I'm going to have to think a little harder about your question. My summer favorite, I think though, is a Moscow Mule. It's a little sweet and a little spicy. But what about you? What's your favorite drink? Hmm, I guess it depends on what time of year it is, what time of day, what I'm eating, that Mm. sort of thing. Right. Now, currently, I love Bloody Marys. Not the Canadian version, the Caesar, because I prefer tomato juice to Clamato, but I do love a great margarita as well. I also love margaritas. Have you ever wondered where the Bloody Mary got its name? Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm about (laughs) to tell you, but I'm first going to tell you it was invented in 1921. By Fernand Petiot, who worked in Paris at the New York Bar, now known as Harry's New York Bar, which seems to be like the epicenter of modern mixology. Originally, the drink was just tomato juice and vodka, but in 1934, Petiot added salt, pepper, cayenne, Worcestershire, and lemon. Wow, a true cocktail. I think I'd enjoy both versions. Mm. And the name? Okay. Well, it actually has all kinds of names, including the Red Hammer. It's not really known, but it's thought that either Queen Mary Tudor, Mary Pickford, or this waitress who worked at a bar in Chicago called the Bucket of Blood may all have had some inspiration to the name that we know it by now. Well, if you think about it, it's a bit of a daunting name, Mm -hmm. whether you call it the Bloody Mary or the Red Hammer. Yeah, it is. And check this out too. I came across survey results conducted by one poll that stated that people who drink Bloody Marys are more adventurous and the likeliest to say yes to everything compared to those who drank other alcoholic beverages. So there you go, Walker. That's you. <laughs> well, you certainly picked the right co-host, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> I did. I wonder if that applies to Caesar drinkers like myself. Anyway, I like cocktails with other juices as well, but I find them a little sweet sometimes for my liking and definitely a little too headachey the next day. 
Yeah, I have a friend who for years would invite us to their New Year's Eve party. And each year that cocktail glass was rimmed in sugar, which inevitably Mm. would lead to a whopper of a headache the next New Year's Mm -hmm. Day. I've since found out that it may not be sugar that is the culprit, but according to Amargo Couture, a registered dietitian at Staten Island University Hospital, it is the fact that the sugary cocktails can be easier to consume in excess. Uh, Well, I can actually testify to that because (laughs) last night I went out for this beautiful Thai meal and we ordered sangria. Uh And that first glass of sangria went down like a glass of water. In the second and the third and the fourth. Well, I was really careful (laughs) after that first one. Well, a sugar hangover is apparently a thing, though, according to the medical director of lifestyle medicine at EHE Health, Dr. Seema Sarin says when your body digests sugar, it's absorbed into the bloodstream, causing a spike in your blood sugar that can make you feel foggy, tired, or have a persistent headache. She explains that blood sugar can drop after being too high, resulting in low blood sugar and shakiness and irritability, among other symptoms, occur. Mm, it all seems like such a great idea at the time, but the aftermath <laughs> is horrendous. What about you? Any drink you don't like? There has to be some cocktail that you have bad memories of. I know not a cocktail per se, but peach schnapps and screwdrivers bring back bad memories from my early drinking days. Oh, yes. Although I would prefer to forget, it was Southern Comfort that <laughs> did me in. Not so much comfort there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't even smell it even to this day but thankfully I don't come across it too often but alcohol is just not our body's best friend right we've always known that drinking to excess is detrimental to our health and sometimes our social lives if we have too much and it can be addictive the latest research on the topic of alcohol consumption now reveals though that any amount of alcohol consumption can be detrimental to our health Right. This research has really got people talking. And frankly, it took many of us off guard, me included. Mm -hmm, Me too. Although they have backtracked it a wee bit, I think based on public reaction. Dr. Tim Namey, director of the University of Victoria's Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, has stated that alcohol is harmful to the health, even starting at very, very low levels. Apparently, any more than two drinks a day for men and more than one drink a day for women is excessive drinking. But you are increasing your risk of certain types of cancers and cardiovascular disease, even below those daily limits that I just mentioned. And you can't save all those drinks up for Friday night either, can you? Unfortunately (laughs) not. I know. A lot of people were wondering that when the research first came out. Doesn't work that way. And did you know that alcohol can damage your DNA and keep your body from repairing that damage? That's not good news. It's not. And it's also believed that several cancers are directly related to alcohol consumption And of course, it can increase your risk of high blood pressure and heart disease. So there are certainly some serious risks with drinking. People are going to have to determine for themselves what level of alcohol consumption they're comfortable with in light of this latest research. Yeah, I know it's certainly something to consider. Mm -hmm. And it's hard because our culture often glorifies drinking and drinking cocktails in particular. To a certain extent, they seem to symbolize living a good life, don't they? Yeah. Like the way the Cosmopolitan was glorified in the television series Sex in the City. It was the signature drink of the main character, Carrie Bradshaw. Mm -hmm. And just a little historical detour, Neil Murray, a Minneapolis bartender, claimed to have invented the Cosmopolitan in 1975 after messing around with a kamikaze cocktail. Hmm. The first person who supposedly tried his creation said... How cosmopolitan. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I remember doing kamikaze shots. (laughs) Do you, Walker? Did you ever do any of those? Uh, 
I, I probably did them and don't remember. <laughs> thought the cosmopolitan was called that because it was kind of like this urban sexy you know worldly drink right there is something fun about being entertained by an experienced bartender all that mixing blending shaking stirring like in the movie cocktail is just not the flavor of the beverage the cocktail is about the production and the presentation as well right like we eat with our eyes first maybe we drink with them too Maybe, and the creation of the drink is part of the experience. That's probably why the robot bartender on the Royal Caribbean cruise ship is such a a popular feature. Okay, did I hear that right? A robot <laughs> bartender? Yes, you order your cocktail you want on the iPad and the robot arm grabs the glass and starts adding the ingredients, mixing, shaking. I have to say, it's really fun. Of course, the drinks aren't the same caliber as you may get from an actual real-life bartender, mm -hmm. but it's still super fun and a memorable experience on the ship. That is very, very cool. Well, like we already said, drinking and cocktails are woven into our culture, particularly those kinds of celebratory moments, like when we're on holiday. So would you say that that was the most unusual drink you've ever had? Well, it was different for sure, but I would say the most unusual drink I've ever had was in Las Vegas. Mm. When the server brought my drink, it was so elaborate and beautiful and typical Las Vegas style, but it wasn't necessarily just that. It was when I put my face up to the glass to take a sip, I realized the air inside my glass tasted like smoke. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really, it was a fabulous experience. Super neat. It really took me off guard. Yeah, that's very, very cool. So what about you? Most of the cocktails I've had are pretty humdrum. I have to say, being Canadian, I was mostly raised on beer and rye whiskey. But I would have to say one that stands out in my history is this lethal red, yellow, and green shot that I did on my honeymoon many times called the spotlight. <laughs> it's definitely memorable, but not for good reasons. We had way too many and it was a long, hot, barfy trip back home the next day. But on that topic, I read a fabulous collection of interesting drinks put together by Dana Frank. She created this when she was working as a bartender, and it's entitled 23 Weird Cocktails to Try Before You Die or Regret. <laughs> I can't wait to hear some of these. Okay, so why have a regular margarita when you can have a coconut jalapeno margarita? How does that sound? Well, sounds great, unless you're a margarita purist. I know, there's I know. a problem. <laughs> exactly. My husband would never go for it. He's just not into the spicy. So that one's not super strange. But what about this one, the Everything Bagel Cocktail? Okay, I love everything bagel and everything bagel spice, but as a drink, I, I know, know, right? Isn't it getting caught in your teeth and everything? I know, all the little <laughs> seeds. Apparently, it was inspired by the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Is there cream cheese in it? Well, the thought of that makes me a little concerned. <laughs> but Yes, actually, it's a buttermilk cocktail garnished with cream cheese and your favorite everything flavoring. Well, that's pretty wild. Super savory. I might actually go for that. I know. It sounds like a good brunch drink, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? And you've had smoked salmon on the side, yeah. maybe. Yeah, some just papers. not in my drink. No. Okay. No, no, I no. don't want smoked salmon in my drink. Okay, so the name of this next one, though, grosses me out. Have you ever heard of the monkey gland cocktail? Uh, no. 
I know. <laughs> Even the, just the word gland. Like, really? That's so disgusting. But it actually sounds pretty tasty. It's gin, orange juice, grenadine, and absinthe. So it doesn't sound bad, right? So why the disgusting name? Like, okay, the marketing I know. department must have got it all wrong in this one. Right? <laughs> According to Dana Frank, it originated at Harry's New York Bar again in Paris. Again, Harry's. I know, right? <laughs> we got to go. It was inspired by the work of Dr. Voronoff, who became famous for grafting monkey testicles onto <sighs> human beings. Okay, can that even be true? I think we need to fact check that. <laughs> I can't believe we went down this path. No, no. Seriously, that is so gross. I well, know. I will order a monkey gland any day before I order a vintage Negroni from Maybe Sammy in Sydney. It will put you back, Harris, $108 US. Uh, no thanks. Why so much? Is it made with something special? Well, it is. They use Gordon's Dry Gin from the 1970s with 1970s Campari and 1960s Carpano Vermouth. Well, that's a pretty high price for a flashback. It is, but nothing compares to Limperial at the Baccarat Hotel in New York City. I think that's where we had our online mixology class, Walker. Okay, so I'm bracing myself. How much is it? $5,000 US. Oh my gosh, for one drink? <laughs> my thoughts exactly. Again, it contains vintage spirits. In an article for the Spirits Business, Kate Machevsky lists the ingredients as including vintage green chartreuse dating back to around 1921 to 26, mm -hmm. which costs $1,150 US per pour. Ooh. It's supported by Nolay Reserve Gin, Cherrywood Aged Maraschino Liqueur, clarified lime juice, and a gold cherry. A gold cherry. Now that is pretty luxe. <laughs> and there is a little extra something something too. Oh. The drink is also served in a diamond-infused Baccarat crystal czar glass that you can take home. Huh. But this isn't even the most expensive cocktail on the list. Okay, give me the news, Walker. Topping her list is a Diamonds Are Forever martini at the Ritz-Carlton in Tokyo. Hold on to your hat there. Okay. <laughs> it's $22,579, making it the world's most expensive cocktail. Holy jumping. Yeah, you don't you don't want to spill that one. No, <laughs> exactly. Don't go there with the kids. <laughs> well, the Diamonds Are Forever martini is prepared table side accompanied by the song Diamonds Are Forever. Oh my gosh, that's The drink so itself cheesy. consists of a mix of absolute elix vodka, lime juice, garnishes, and and a one carat diamond valued at $16,000 US. What, what if you accidentally swallow it? Let's not go there. Let's, Let's not just go not there. think about that. Okay, these cocktails are out of my league. Well, the world of mixology is a world onto its own, one where the responsibilities of those behind the bar often go above and beyond creating libations. That's so true. And we're not just talking about being the behind the bar therapist either. Right. Now listen to this. Thomas Spaeth, the head bartender at the Reigns Law Room in Chelsea, New York, said that he worked at an oyster bar where a woman once asked him to feed her oysters so she wouldn't have to touch them. Give me a break. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> like, I can't even imagine asking somebody to do that. I know. And it's a hard no for me. Okay. <laughs> but apparently he did it. So that's going the extra mile. And here's another tale from behind the bar. <laughs> Kyle Elvis, the assistant manager at the Lexington Rooftop Bar in Hull, suddenly found himself the primary caregiver of a customer's snake. Odd. Okay. Why are you bringing the snake to the bar in the first place? And then what are you doing leaving it there? Like, I don't get it. Okay. So if you think all that is strange, listen to this. Pedro Barriga, the bar manager of O'Donovan's Pub in Pomona, said that once 
a 60-year-old lady asked for him to take her home and tuck her into bed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I didn't know what to say. I That's know. super kooky. I know. A pretty <laughs> tall order, I'd say, Walker. Well, as Zach Galafianakis has said, you know you have a drinking problem when the bartender knows your name and you've never been to that bar before, which ah. is probably the case with that <laughs> six-year-old lady. Mixology is not just about the artistry and imagination that infuses each cocktail creation. It's also about the people who enjoy them. Thank you for joining us at At Home and Abroad with your host, Harrison Walker. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review our show. It helps us grow and expand our reach. Subscribe to follow us each week as we continue the conversation. And you can also say hi to us on Instagram at at Harrison Walker. We would love to hear from you.